Tonight we stand on the brink of Lent, a season that begins tomorrow. And this story, the story of the Transfiguration, is a good place for us to jump off. It reveals for us the glory of God in Jesus Christ, offering a foretaste of the resurrection just as we face a long season of penitence and preparation A season that also reminds us of death and suffering. In the face of that, the transfiguration provides hope and a vision of new life. The one that is shrouded in mystery as we hear the story. I want to start, though, by going back for a minute to the scripture reading that Deborah shared from 2 Corinthians. And listen to these words again. Paul writes, And all of us with unveiled faces, all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as through a reflection in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. This pivotal text ties together all of our readings for this week. It reaches back to Moses on the mountaintop, encountering God, his face aglow as he comes down with the radiance of God's presence. He put a veil, we're told, over his face because others were so afraid of what they saw in him. At the same time, the scripture reaches ahead to Jesus into the story of the transfiguration there on the mountaintop where we're told that Jesus' face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And I hope you heard that this scripture passage reaches out to you and to me, to us. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Back to the mountaintop, into the transfiguration. Something amazing happened there to Jesus And Peter didn't know what to make of it. Groping for something, he suggests that we make a dwelling here for you, Jesus, and for Moses and Elijah. Luke then responds by saying that basically, Peter didn't get it. He didn't know what he was saying, we're told. His attempt to speak meaningfully about what was happening missed the mark entirely. He couldn't put it in words. He didn't, he didn't know what to do. Heinrich Zimmer said that the best things can't be talked about. The best things can't be talked about. The second best things are usually misunderstood. So what happens is we always talk about the third best things. Think about that. Peter experienced that on the mountaintop. Something amazing and mysterious happened, and he tried to put it into words. And he tried to explain, this has to happen now. We all have to sit down and stay here together. But as Luke points out, he missed the point entirely. Peter couldn't put into words what was happening. And we're told then at the end of the text that they kept silent after that. Maybe that's why. They didn't know what to say about what happened on top of that mountain. 
They knew that it was something significant. But they probably knew that people were not going to understand if they opened their mouths and tried to talk about it. I can't logically explain what happened there either, which makes preaching on this text a challenge. (laughs) The notion of divine glory is difficult for one of our rational minds, for our rational minds to grasp. But then again, aren't there occasions when we catch glimpses of it? Not so much rationally, but somatically or experientially. In our bodies, we feel it. I trust that many of you have had your own mountaintop experiences in which God became more real for you, more evident to you. But probably when you tried to talk about it, It didn't make any sense. But you felt it and you knew something happened. One way we often get a taste of that is from encounters in the natural world, in nature, what the Christian Celts called the first Bible, God's creation. The mystics experienced that in desert solitude, as did indigenous people, like the traditional communities that worship right here on this hill long before us, long before the sisters of the visitation, those who came to this high hill to watch the sun set and to see the distant falls of the river. They must have been inspired by that vision, just as we are today. I imagine that you've had an experience like that yourself, on a mountaintop, maybe on a hike deep in the woods, or confronted by a budding flower, or a bird's song, or stars in a clear night sky, when you just knew, you just felt that God was real, and that somehow you were a part of it as well. People who've had such encounters often return with a glow. They come back to the world, and they radiate And they don't have to put it into words necessarily. Their presence makes a difference. Theologian Chad Myers writes that such sensate experiences of glory are crucial to the spirituality, get this, of social justice. We cannot hope to heal our weary world without deeply grasping its beauty and its holiness. We will never understand how Bad things have become, if we have no clue, how good the undomesticated, unadulterated creation truly is, mirroring its creator. And then he goes on to say that glory fuels righteous indignation. Glory fuels righteous indignation. Which brings me back to that Corinthians text again. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord, are being transformed by God's mercy. Paul invites each of us to go up that mountain and to have our own experience of encountering God's glory and to be changed, to be transformed for the ministry to which we are called 
which Paul later describes just a few verses later this way. These are familiar words, I think, to us at Richmond Hill. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. We've been transformed by the experience of the glory of God. Those are my words. All this is from God, Paul goes on to say, who reconciled us to God's self through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Right. I remember nearly three years ago, right in this very spot, I had just gotten here a month or so before, when Dr. John Kenney spoke at the Koinonia School of Race and Justice. He came to speak on the topic of um, the theology of race. And I remember being so impressed by his presence and by his words and by the fact that he was speaking on the theology of race and he never once, that I can recall, said the word race. Instead, he talked about hierarchy that night. And he talked about how we have distorted God's original plan by doing this, by setting things up in a top-down or a bottom-up frame of reference to the point where we think all the time of those who are above other people, that, that men are above women, that white is above black, that people are above God's creation. And he said the problem is that we have done this when God intended for this for us to be joined together, for us to work together, for us to care together. A ministry of reconciliation has to break this down until it becomes like this and joins in one place so that how we treat everybody and everything matters. It matters for the sake of the planet, It matters for the sake of each other. It matters for the sake of race relations. It matters for the sake of how men and women live together. You name it. It matters that we stop doing this, but we come together like this. Now, this is a very unconventional way to live in our world. This is not how the empire of the current United States is set up. Right? It is not popular to think in these terms. People will say, well, that's a nice idea. But Jesus spoke of this. And Jesus lived his life like this. And Jesus died being an example of what it means to live like this and to care like this. We are to be like Jesus and like Moses before Him and challenge the Herods and the Pharaohs of the world and work to deconstruct this hierarchical pattern that diminishes all of life. We are to live by a different standard, the Christ standard of love and mercy. Jesus who said that we are to be merciful as our Father in Heaven is merciful. We are to be compassionate as God is compassionate until justice rolls down, 
like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. When we see our planet in peril due to excessive consumption and greedy policies, we must stand for something different. When we hear of students falling behind because their schools are underfunded and understaffed due to an unequitable distribution of resources, we have to take a stand for something different. When we know there's a dominant culture and it's white that perpetuates segregation on nearly every front still while limiting privilege to half at best, we must call it out. We must make it clear that the glory of God reveals another way. The glory of God stands for something else. The glory of God affirms that we all have value. That the more than human world matters too. That God's light shines on and in all of us, not just some of us. The ministry of reconciliation is about bringing together what God never intended to fall apart or to be taken apart or to be imagined apart. We have some work to do, right? There's plenty to do. I'd like to just share quickly with you eight principles for reconciliation work. And these principles come from something that Deborah shared with the community the other night uh, from a book called Breaking Down Walls by Raleigh Washington and Glenn Kareen from Our Salvation Church and Circle of Urban Ministries of Chicago. Now, this was written for the work of racial reconciliation, but these principles apply to any type of reconciliation work. The kind of reconciliation work that in, includes everything and an intention to bring together again what God never intended to be separated. So I'm not going to go into great detail, but just to mention these things to try to spark in us a reminder that these are things that we can be committed to together. One is simply the commitment to relationship. It's recognizing that we're meant to be together in all forms of relationships with one another. That we will be intentional about this. Intentionality matters. We will be purposeful and positive and planned in our efforts moving forward. That we will embrace a sincerity about this, which means that we'll be willing to be vulnerable, including self-disclosing our feelings and our attitudes, our differences and perceptions. That we will maintain a sensitivity which takes into account how other people are feeling or how other parts of creation are doing that we will become empathic or empathetic in our efforts, that we will recognize that there is an interdependence among all that God has created. You know that even if you walk in the garden, you can experience it unknowingly because we cannot breathe unless the trees are breathing with us. The carbon dioxide they need for photosynthesis is something we give them. And they're providing the oxygen that we need to stay upright. There is an interdependence built into the fabric of the entire universe. And we're just a part of it. Sacrifice is another key value. A willingness to relinquish and establish status and position. 
Again, there's that hierarchy that has to be broken down. Empowerment is another key principle here that we'll be willing to share the power and encourage one another to step up together so that we can work together. And finally, a sense of call and the valuing of call, which which we speak a lot about here at Richmond Hill. And it's that call that we hear of in this text today, that call to a ministry of reconciliation, which brings us back to the mountaintop. Peter and James and John went up the mountain for a reason. They needed to see something. And they needed to be reminded that they were called and that their lives mattered and that there was work to be done and that they couldn't come down from that mountain the same. That the glow that they carried needed to go out into the world. On that mountainside, they saw the shining face of Jesus. The shining face of Jesus. The putting together of both His divinity and His humanity. A shining face. They saw that He was both human and divine, spirit and flesh, both imminent and transcendent. They saw the incarnation right in front of them of mystery and light. And that needed to be affirmed. That needed to be seen to inspire them. And Paul then boldly says that that needs to be affirmed in each of us, in you and in me. That all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, we too are being transformed into that same image. We, you and me, you and me shaped by the glory of God, Now that should be enough to inspire us to enter into this season of Lent with open hearts and with open minds and to continue the ministry of reconciliation that we are a part of here and to not lose heart. Amen.